Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. song to get us revved up man. yeah especially for halloween right yeah <laughs> i came in in my my silent bob costume man it's still a work in progress yeah you've been working you've been working on that a lot yeah uh, worked on it all day today and, and you're here tonight we missed you last week <laughs> i mean you know i i gotta give you guys some um absent time you know to so you can so we can detox <laughs> to det yeah exactly <laughs> we did have jeff heim from the leisure hour come in and sit in with us and he he kind of got his like you know, what is his is under fire for uh, for conspiracy normal. <laughs> Rob, how you been? I've been good, busy. Busy's good though. Yeah, 
We've been doing, man, you've been like, you're like the podcast extraordinaire of Nashville now. Yeah, I'm hoping. <laughs> I just want to do this all the time, every day. Yeah, that would be cool. So would I, man. So would I. Right. So, Luke, tell me about your life lately, man. Uh, I went out to the farm last night and we raged it up for my stepmom's birthday. Yeah, I raged <laughs> it up, man. It, it, any family event for us is always a reason to rage it up. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, it's I'm, a, it's an excuse to get dr- to get drunk exactly. and rowdy out in the woods. It, I mean, like as terrible as it is to say, like I loved my aunt, but even her funeral, like we were drinking and partying. Mm-hmm. Not at the funeral, but afterward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for pouring like beer on the coffin and stuff, right? <laughs> it's too, it's Tennessee, boys. <laughs> she didn't even drink. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna miss you. Other, you know, I was I was making friends with the frogs last night and carrying them around and playing with them and and. Uh, what know, did you say to the frogs? Well, he's my little buddy. I was just like. Stroking him for a little while, you know, he went all limp, you know, oh God, I'm going to die. <laughs> just like went limp in my hand and his eyes are looking around. Like. He, was, he was resigned to his fate. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're my little buddy, man. You're my little buddy. <laughs> you know, bottle of booze in one hand, frog in the other. Like Lenny from Mice and Men. <laughs> <laughs> well, to say it is, uh, it is Halloween time on Conspiracy Normal. Last year we did like a, four episode arc of kind of Halloween. And this year we really haven't paid too much attention to it. Although I thought the last show was kind of scary in a different way. Uh, kind of scary, interesting, but tonight we have Steve Stockton coming on and we're going to talk about two of his books that he's written. Uh, they're called strange things in the woods. And this is stories of not only just the woods, but people that have encountered strange things and odd places and that he has collected. And so we're real excited to have him on. And we thought that would be a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing for Halloween. Like a little bit like gather around the campfire, so to speak, kind of like what we did with Jim Harold last year. Yeah, that was fun. But I kind of got a theme tonight because one of the biggest things of Halloween, of <laughs> course, is, uh, is, is costumes. <laughs> and here's one particularly that our producer Rob would just love. Yeah. I here. think you keep bringing this up just because of me. <laughs> Well, back in April, we talked about the mysterious clown sightings that took place in the New England area and also in Chicago back in like the late 80s, early 90s. And apparently now they are back. And so here's from that conspiracy website, ABC News. Mysterious clowns terrorizing California City. It's like a scene from a horror film. Residents of a California city are being terrorized by people dressed as clowns. Some reportedly wielding machetes or baseball bats, police said. There's a natural phobia of clowns, Sergeant Joe Groves of the, ba- of the Bakersfield Police Department told ABC News today. And clearly, if someone is dressed up as a clown and holding a weapon in a threatening manner, that's going to frighten people. There have been 20 sightings in a week, but only one clown has landed in cuffs. Bakersfield Police <laughs> arrested one juvenile last week for allegedly chasing other juveniles while in a clown costume. The 14-year-old suspect, who wasn't armed, told police he was participating in a hoax he had seen online. Social media accounts using the name Wasco Clown claimed to be linked to the pranks, but police said they were unaware of any connection. Instagram photos show scary clowns posing in different landmarks in Wasco, Delano, and Bakersfield, and the snapshots include taunting captions like, Come out and play, and it's funny you guys think I got arrested. 
Other residents have reported seeing the scary clowns armed with a machete or baseball bat, Grubb said, but police haven't apprehended any clowns with weapons. Sergeant Ian Chandler of the Kern County Sheriff's Department in Wasco says his department has also received several phone calls about scary clowns. He suspects the social media accounts are just copycats who heard about the sightings, which may have been sparked by a couple dressed up as clowns for an art project, he said. The at real Wasco clown Twitter account also claims responsibility for the scary sightings. though police say they know of no connection. I am the creepy evil looking clown that is roaming the streets of Wasco, California at night. Come find me. I will give you a balloon. The account says <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the next story here, but Rob, I'm going to get your, uh, your thoughts on there. I am almost, I almost feel like we shouldn't be giving us any more air time. <laughs> Because it's just going to promote more fucking weirdos out there to go out and dress up like clowns. And- or it's going to promote more clownishness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's enough clowns out there. You know, after reading the history of clowns on Wikipedia, <laughs> my go-to for research. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, like, I, I understand why they, they first came around. Like, I get it. You know, no one had TV back then and stuff. And they did stupid little magic tricks. So, you know, illusionist kind of stuff. And they told stories and they acted the stories out. So I get it. Right. Um, it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't, under, I don't understand the psychology of someone who would want to be a clown nowadays. Well, <laughs> to me, it, they just look like a, a caricature, like an extreme caricature of a psychopath, mm-hmm. like with the exaggerated features and like the ridiculously huge smile. Like nobody's that happy yeah. unless there's something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> That's kind of what they've become in popular culture nowadays. Yeah. At least in the last like 25 to 30 years. That's what they've, what they've become. But apparently, you know, this was in California, and that was, I think, like dated October 13th. And this is from just about a week ago, and it's now spread across the nation like a plague. Creepy clown sightings spread across nation. Days after several reports of spooky clowns alarming residents in California, pranksters in similar costumes are popping up in other states. Sergeant Tim Wager of the Fishers Police Department in Indiana thinks his town is dealing with a copycat. We have had over the past week three calls of a suspicious person dressed in a creepy clown outfit, Baker told ABC News today. We believe it's just one individual dressing up as a clown and kind of creeping people out a bit. Police looked for the clown but never found him, he added. As of right now, he hasn't broken any law, Baker said. The report comes after similar sightings this month in Bakersfield, California, and the launch of social media accounts using the name Wasco Clown, showing a scary clown posing at different locations in Bakersfield and nearby cities. Fishers, Indiana, isn't alone in the new sightings. Days before Halloween, residents of Albuquerque, New Mexico, were recently spooked when a scary clown posed for a photo in front of a local restaurant and posted it on social media. But the clown, Tickles, told ABC (laughs) affiliate Coat TV in Albuquerque that he didn't mean any harm by the scary photo. It's just Tickles. I haven't gotten any phone calls, but we've had several news outlets here in Albuquerque report on it. Albuquerque Police Department spokesman Tanner Tixler said of the spooky clown, it has not become a police matter yet. And clowns here have also been reported in Jacksonville, Florida, popping up on security footage. <laughs> the World Clown Association. <laughs> the what, there the is clowns? such a thing. <laughs> the World Clown Association says such spooky sightings are I giving knew, clowns a bad rap. People dressed as horror clowns are not real clowns. President-elect Randy Christensen said they are taking something innocent and wholesome and perverting it to create fear in their audience. Clowns, he added, should promote positive, family-friendly enjoyment. Let me guess that the headquarters of the World Clown Association is uh, based out of California. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it might be. <laughs> you, you just you can just automatically assume that anything weird is. Well, no, hold, hold on. What was it? The World Clown Association. Well, we can see where they were, where they're, where they're based out of. But uh, Rob, you want to take a road trip? <clears throat> no. Yeah, let's know. go to the World Clown Association. <laughs> hey, if Rob. we do go on a road trip, we're going to see that Baphomet statue, dude. Oh, the one in Detroit. Yeah, I'm going to pose by it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pose in your Silent Bob outfit. <laughs> yeah, with leaning up against it, smoking a cigarette. Uh, World Clown Association is WorldClown.com, and it looks like they have a membership that you can buy. In insurance, apparently, and they have a oh, world insurance. That's they have their thing. World Clown Day, their 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 Orlando <laughs> convention, Ugh. which they had just la- just this last week on uh, the the twenty first. I couldn't imagine a more perfect hell <laughs> <laughs> events. Their events events include uh, standing and standing on street corners with machetes and baseball bats. <laughs> I feel like we're spending too much time on clowns. <laughs> well, just the point I want to make on that is, is that two things happen in here. You've got people that, you know, we talked with Adam go last year about the discordians and about operation Mindfuck. about some high weirdness, but some high weirdness. And this is high weirdness. You got to admit, yeah. but we talked about that and you know, that kind of thing I think is going on. You probably got different like art projects and there's probably people that are in like the, this Cordia society or some offshoot of it that are probably doing this just for fun, just to mess with people. It was a little zeitgeisty stuff going on there too yeah. with the, um, the re-release of or the remake of uh, it and mm-hmm. other clowns in the media. And- right. And I think there's like, what is it uh, coming out? There's a movie where Jared Leto is playing the Joker not Deadpool, but it's something else. Suicide Squad uh-huh. that's coming out like next year, and there's been pictures posted up of him as the, as the Joker. Uh, the, well, the Joker's been like a big motif, you know that kind of that that that's one thing we forgot to add when we talked about clowns the last time was you know not, not only John Wayne Gacy or or the movie It, but like now the the Joker, and especially with the way Heath Ledger portrayed. Oh, he was great. You know, it was more in the vein of like. Uh, of a clown believable sinister yeah of, a, of an anarchist sinister clown and so it was, it was more in that vein and the oh but the other thing that's happening here is that people are there's mass hysteria going on so now people are starting to see things that are probably not actually there just like what happened in chicago so it's like the whole 40 <laughs> weirdness is happening it is happening again with uh with clowns so I wish it was giant spiders or somebody else's fear. <laughs> I, I always thought like how awesome would it be to, to um, just wear your, your, have a crazy costume and just wear it at a weird random time of the year. That's totally like inappropriate. Well, that's what these people are doing. Exactly. Apparently. Exactly. It's the same deal. Right. I mean, you could do that with any costume though, you know? So continue with the motif of men with costumes. And at the end of the show, I'll have a more serious motif, but, stick to the funny stuff right now this uh from the ukraine we're going international. Oh. we're going international <laughs> yeah, talking about the other story <laughs> yeah that's that's sweet and we'll talk about that later uh chewbacca arrested after campaigning for darth vader in ukrainian election 
elections. <laughs> this just turned into the leisure as as, hour. As soon as I read that headline, I was like, this is crap. This is crap. You know what? Shumi would never support that figure. <laughs> You're making me jealous right now. <laughs> get, some for, get some for Rob. Please. You get, you get some. Election, <laughs> election season in Odessa, Ukraine is getting weird. Real weird. Ukraine's internet party is best is best known for its high-profile mayoral candidate, Darth Vader. Yes, that's his legal name, who campaigns by dressing in a Vader costume and blasting the Imperial March as his theme music. One of his best publicity stunts took place on Friday when he unveiled a statue of Lenin, that's Vladimir Lenin, that had been modified to look like the Sith Lord. Because this was the work of the internet party, the Vader statue also provided a public service as a Wi-Fi router. Truly, they're putting most joke candidates to shame. Ukraine's local elections took place on Sunday, and you probably won't be shocked to hear that the Internet Party has drawn attention to themselves once again. This time, the star of the show was Chewbacca. Photos posted by Twitter user at KH underscore reader shows a person in a Chewbacca costume being arrested by a team of Ukrainian police. Apparently, Chewie and Darth Vader fell foul of Ukrainian election law by causing a disruption and blocking the road near a local polling station. I can't even read it. <laughs> Chewie has since been released, but not, prepared, not before appearing in one of the best arrest photos we've ever seen. So the the picture is the guy is in the courtroom. I guess he's at like his hearing or are they going to tell him when the court date is or something? And he's in like his... <laughs> He's in full Chewbacca costume. But his hair is all crazy and messed up like he's been sitting in jail for days. <laughs> exactly. exactly. With Ron, the mask on. You, you say you wish we could get the mug shot. Yeah. Do they ever mention his name or do they just call him Chewie the No, they article? just call him Chewbacca. I mean, he, Probably couldn't pronounce it anyway. So... <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> so there's other pictures of like like four Ukrainian police guys like like <laughs> or like tackling Chewbacca, <laughs> pinning him up against a car, and <laughs> and there's footage of him actually getting the cuffs on. <laughs> and, it, and at one point, <laughs> at one point, they can't even get his cuffs on because his the costume is so is so thick. <laughs> Where's Han Solo when you need him for interpreta- interpretation, right? <laughs> and, and there's a video of this statue of uh, of Lenin and it turned into Darth Vader. And you see, like, all of a sudden, all these guys dressed up as stormtroopers come up. Darth Vader's there, you know, running for mayor of Odessa. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this damn, like... Caught this like dune buggy or something pulls up and it's got like a stormtrooper on the back of it and three other stormtroopers and Chewbacca's driving it and he's waving, you know. And it's just like, <laughs> these people are just. <laughs> I guess there's not enough to do. A little too too excited about. I mean, I I mean, I may I make a terrible Silent Bob because I'm not really too excited about Star Wars or any other comics or anything for that matter. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, Silent Bob was always quoting the the Star Wars movies. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not like super into. So you it. haven't gone out and bought your tickets already for for Episode Seven, dude? I'm, they crashed the site. <laughs> they crashed Fandango. <laughs> Wow. That's saying something. <laughs> I actually think that I'm actually kind of disappointed that, that that was done because I remember, obviously, you know, I mean, I was a, I was a very small child and the original Star Wars came out, but I remember 1999 when 
quote unquote episode one came out and just the, the people that there was like people that were, my friend's girlfriend went out and like, and like hung out in a tent so we could get tickets, you know, like, like they didn't pre-sell tickets then. Right. Yeah. You had to, you had to wait for it. You had to wait for those tickets and people were waiting for days. And of course you had the people out there dressed as like Darth Vader and Chewbacca and Obi-Wan Kenobi and people having like lightsaber duels (laughs) in the the parking lot. And I just think now that they've done this pre-sale thing, I don't think we're going to have that. Like, you know, you're not going to see the, you're not going to see the people like, lined up at the theater oh, dressed yeah, up but Star Wars. What characters. about when they actually go there to line up to wait for the doors open? Yeah, that might be. That might be. But it won't be for days. It'll it's probably like be Black there Friday like that night. Spy, dude. <laughs> we'll have to drive down there. Crazy. I know our friend I know our friend Zachary's already got his tickets. Well see I think I might I might have a ticket because my friend's girlfriend is scared to go because of all like the like racist the sh- stuff the and the shooting or and something. Everything. Yeah. So like I'll, I'll I'll risk it. Somebody's gonna get lightsaber this time. Whoa <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I said, our friend, our friend Zach, that's been here a couple of times with us, he uh, he's got his tickets already. Got it all requested off at work and everything. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought I was coming out on Christmas. I was trying to figure out how to tell my girlfriend that we're canceling Christmas this year. Get <laughs> Zach to film it for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've already decided. Like, I'm gonna wait at least two weeks before I even go see it, man. Because you know it's just gonna be it's gonna be a freak show for the first two weeks. <laughs> These haunted houses I've been going to have been a freak show. Yeah, tell us about it. Um, let's see. Anything interesting? Like happen? Nashville is huge on the haunted houses thing. I mean, there's haunted houses. Think so, like more everywhere. Well, half the billboards are up haunted house advertisements right now. If you drive yeah, around, true. Yep. Well, we, we don't have any of those kind of like now haunted houses have moved into more of like an extreme kind of category where you have to sign waivers for them to torture you and stuff like that. Like <laughs> the, the, the more extreme ones, you know what I'm talking about though? Yeah. yeah. Like some, some of them will, um, there, there was a different one too. It's, there's not just a torture one. There's another one that, uh, that Billy was telling me about. I don't know, but there's, there, you get a lot of fruitcakes there, you know, like the, the Gothic kids and stuff like that waiting in line and, uh, just weird. Yeah. <laughs> just it's, weird, it's, just weird Halloween people. is, man, Halloween is such a strange, to me, it's like, it's, it's, it's become one of these holidays. It's, it's become like a month long holiday now. It's a lot like Christmas is, you know, yeah. it's become like, and, and even, even like, you know, Halloween, I remember. You know, you had Halloween, you went out and trick-or-treated, and Halloween was over, and that was it. But, like, the haunted houses will still be open, like, into, like, they, the they first were or open, second week in, in November. Yeah, dude. They were open in early September. Yeah. So, they'll still be around. So, it's like it's like a it's like a month-long friggin' festival. Right. Maybe now. we're all, like, slowly converting to paganism again. I, it must be. <laughs> That'll be fine with you, right? Like, Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> That's another one of my pit stops around the globe is the Pagan Temple. Where's that? Uh, the one you sent me uh, the link to in, in Sweden or something like that. Oh, yeah, Norway. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd be rad. That, that would be pretty. That, that would be pretty <laughs> crazy. But uh, we're talking about Halloween. We're going to we're going to take a break here. We'll get Steve Stockton on. We're going to talk about some strange things in the woods. Zoop. Yeah. All right, guys, we're back on Conspiranormal. And tonight, as I mentioned before, we have a very special guest, first timer to the show, and that's Mr. Steve Stockton. And Steve is actually a native of our state. He's originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, but now he 
lives all the way on the other side of the country in Portland, Oregon. And he has a couple of books out called Strange Things in the Woods and More Strange Things in the Woods. And it's just a collection of uh, really short books, collection of of just these really just strange stories that uh, people have sent him over the years. And uh, Steve, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. We're glad to have you on. Thanks. Great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we kind of get into the stories, though, I kind of wanted to get kind of like your background and and, and who you are and how you became kind of interested in collecting these these types of stories. Yeah, well, I was a a late in life, unexpected baby. So a lot of my parents' friends were were elderly. When we go visit their friends, nobody had any kids my age. So I just kind of had to make my own fun. And uh, eventually I found out that with a little coercion and cajoling, I could get the, the old folks to tell some stories. And that just delighted me. I mean, the South's got a, a huge oral tradition anyway of passing along stories and tales and stuff. So I kind of became collector of stories that way. And then it got to a point where when we go back to visit some of these old folks, they would have remembered another story or heard another one that they wanted to tell me. And I started chronicling these. I sort of had a... And Epiphany, my grandmother's funeral, uh, she had told me a lot of stories, a lot of legends. She's a very superstitious mountain woman. And uh, I was standing there in her coffin looking at her, and I thought, you know, all those stories die right now unless somebody retells them. And some of those, as far as I knew, I'm the only one that she told them to. So I sort of took that mantle upon myself just to be the reteller of the tales. And I spent probably the next 30 or so years after that uh, collecting, cataloging them, and then a few years ago, uh, Amazon made it possible for me to publish them. Right, that's the beauty of uh, self-publishing. Uh, how far back do some of these stories go? Uh, some of these probably go back into the, the late 60s, I'd say, maybe mid to late 60s. Uh, I was born in 63s and started listening to people tell these tales, You know, probably from around, I'm going to say 66, 67. I've got a really good sharp memory of my younger years. So probably from the middle sixties on up until recent times. But a a lot of these stories have been with me since the seventies or eighties. A lot of the people that told me these stories have since passed on. So I'm kind of still carrying that legacy, you know, the, the one who tells the tales. Are are a lot of them kind of from, because I noticed in, in reading the books that a lot of them were from, kind of like our general area here in Tennessee and more like we're in middle Tennessee, but more like the East Tennessee area, like the Smokies yeah, the, and those areas. The first book especially is very Tennessee centric just because that's where I grew up. And then there's a lot from middle Tennessee from the Fentress County area. That was where my father grew up. And then like I said, the, the great Smoky mountains area, that was where my mom was from. So I've got kind of that two thirds of the state covered really well in the first book. And then, as the first book gained in popularity and got a good readership, I, I started getting more and more stories. So by the, the second book, I'm hearing things from California. Uh, I've got some actual stories in there from New England that I'd heard back in the 80s that I kind of passed on in the second one. And then uh, the third volume that I'm currently at work on, it's going to be even more widespread than that. So it's kind of a self-perpetuating project at this point, and I hadn't really planned on that. I just wanted to get the stories out of my head that were rattling around, but it's, it's kind of grown into to something of its own now, which, which I really love. I think one of the, and one of the stories in the second book is actually from the Philippines. Uh-huh. 
yeah, there's stories from the Philippines. That's I spent a year in the Philippines in the early 2000s, and, and that's oh, where some wow. of those came from. So. Cool, cool. Uh, what do you do like other than other than the the collect the stories? Uh, I work in a management position. I got to be careful here. Management position for a, a very large grocery chain. Okay. I keep my life separate. I, uh, I don't endorse them and they don't endorse me. So, <laughs> Right. I got you. I got you. Well, let's get into it. Uh, some very intriguing stuff. And uh, I think the one that uh, grabbed me, first of all, and I, I kind of what I did was I read these and I kind of took the stories that I thought were like kind of the, the more intriguing stories and bookmarked them and just kind of got them listed. Uh, so, the first one that I thought was interesting that Rob did too was uh, disintegrating people. Yeah, that was that happened to a, a person that I worked with in Oak Ridge back in the eighties, early eighties, like maybe eighty three or so. And the story as she told it, I mean, to me, it happened and just like it's told in the book. That's the way it happened. Uh, her and a friend were out at the the lake, just hanging out. Walked out into the woods and found a kind of primitive campsite. And uh, obvious that somebody had recently been there, not too recently. You know, there wasn't a warm coals or anything like that, but there was still personal effects, things left behind, a little bit farther behind the campsite. And the girls kind of get the feeling, you know, like, this doesn't feel right. We need to get out of here. A little bit farther behind the campsite, they find what looks like, or what was rather, two sets of clothing. Uh, she thinks probably underwear, too. Like, people had just laid down on the ground, holding hands and had disappeared, leaving only their clothing behind. She said there was like, you know, a man's shirt inside a jacket. The jacket was tucked into the pants. There was a belt. She could see shoes or socks in the shoes. Uh, I think poked him with a stick, maybe heard change or uh, a key chain or something in there. And then they decided, okay, we better get out of here. They were really, really scared at that point. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and, um, it almost sounds she like never prank. really told anything or told anybody about it. I heard about it much later and she said there was never anything in the newspaper about people missing or that somebody else finding the missing couple as it were. So it's either a, a really strange occurrence or a rather elaborate prank yeah. of the type where you could only dream about the payoff. You didn't get to really see it, but you could <laughs> imagine. So who knows? I, I don't, that's another thing. I don't vet these. I don't judge them in any way. I report them as they were told to me, and you can take them as they are at face value. Well, that's that's one of the things I liked most about it is that you you kept um, the the way the author wrote them and the slang they used and their phrasing and stuff like that. It's all all kept. Yeah, really I'm trying to, to keep the vernacular in there. Some of it really adds flavor to it because some of these were just very simple hillbilly type people and. <laughs> They had nothing to gain. You know, there was no reason for them to lie to me. And some of them, it was difficult to even get a story out of them for fear of ridicule, I think. There's a certain reticence, you know, not to tell a story because, like, the, the one about the, the giant snake, the guy's like, you know, I've never told anyone this because I thought people would think I was crazy. So you, you get a lot of that, too. There's a, there's one that kind of, I think, is like, goes together with that story. And that's the strangeness in the Smokies. The guy that goes out into the woods and yeah, the one where just he steps off the trail and he feels kind of a mm -hmm. uh, almost like a supernatural calm or 
uh, something's not right, calm, but it is. So, like, trying to lull him into a false sense of security just feels like something telling him, oh, you should just sit down and relax and, you know, don't worry, you'll be okay. And uh, it makes you wonder because there's been a lot of unexplained disappearances in the Smokies. And I've experienced the same thing there near um, Klingman's Dome. And again, almost same circumstances. I'd wandered off the trail and I came into a little clearing and it was just like, you know, I could stay here for a long, long time and be happy. And then it was just like kind of, you know, something clicked. I'm like, no, I need to get back on the trail and get out of here. Did you experience like what the guy experiences where like things just kind of like became silent all around him? Not that particular time, but I have experienced that in the Smokies before when there's no birds, no movement in the trees. It's like you can't even hear the wind or anything. And that's, I know exactly what the guy's talking about. I've hiked all over the Smokies. I've hiked uh, a great portion of the Appalachian Trail. I haven't through hiked it yet, but I've been on the trail in just about every state that it goes through, except for some of the uh, New England states. And there's just, there. Like my title says, there's some strange things out there in the woods. What do you think about David Politis and his work? Oh, I, I love David Politis. I always try to, to reference his work. Um, he's a friend of mine. We've talked about some cases and things. It's, it's very interesting. And I like the fact that, much like me, he leaves you to draw your own conclusions. He doesn't say, I think it's this or I think it's that. He might kind of lead you in that direction, but then in the next chapter or paragraph you kind of go in a different direction so it's one of those things you read that you don't know is it bigfoot is it ufos is it both is it you know some sort of predator type creature developed by the government that's loose in the woods there's the mind just boggles at, at some of those cases uh, there was one guy where they and they found him in a boulder field which is not unusual in the missing yeah. person cases which was very flat but the body appeared to have been dropped from a considerable distance. So how do you explain that? There's no place the guy could climb up and jump or fall from, yet he's in a, a boulder field, looks like he's having been dropped from a distance. That's just fascinating. And sometimes like their like their clothes are are off or their clothes are like look like they're put back on weirdly. Yeah, there's been cases where they're put back on inside out or backwards or clothes found nearby neatly folded. And in a lot of the missing children cases, the, it's the kids that aren't even old enough to dress themselves normally will be found with their clothes on backwards or inside out. Were, were you around the area when the, or do you remember when the Dennis Martin thing happened? Oh, yeah, that was a, a big influence on me. I was about a year younger than Dennis at the time. So that was always a cautionary for, tale for me. I remember my parents talking about a boy being missing in the Smokies and using that to caution me to, you know, be careful what you do. Don't disappear. Don't wander away with anybody. And that just, that one still speaks volumes to me. That, like I said, that was my first real experience with a, how a kid can go missing and just never be found. And uh, I've heard some, some theories on that. And some of these I've talked with David Politis about nothing that I've ever heard provenance on, but there was a, a ginseng hunter that claimed to have found uh, a child's skull in a hollow stump yeah, And then when he went back to, to show somebody where it was at, it was gone. And one of the underground theories, if you will, that I heard in Knoxville in the 70s was that uh, Dennis uh, fell into a bear poacher's trap and was killed. And that was the scream heard by the Key family 
was his, his last. And then the, the hairy man that they saw vanishing up the side of the hill was the poacher with Dennis's body in tow. And then the body was hidden, hidden somewhere in the mountains. Because again, like, that's unsubstantiated, but that was yeah. the one of the backwards theories I heard, or sideways theories. You know, that no proof, just talking with somebody at a Hawkeyes down on campus one night. Yeah, that's that's one that I've never heard before uh, about the, the the bear poacher thing. I mean, that would tend to make sense, especially if, uh, you know, if he was out there, not only did he accidentally kill a kid, but you know, he was out there hunting bears too. So this guy would have been in a bunch of trouble. Yeah, yeah supposedly it was a bear trap, you know, and yeah. you can imagine one of those big steel traps that they used for bear, what that would do to a five, six-year-old kid. Yeah, Micah Hanks has done some investigation on that too, and it's it's a, it's a scary story. Yeah, and then uh, oddly enough, uh, his Dennis Martin's father died. I think it was last year on Halloween, which that's also my birthday. So that was kind of a oh really a, a double blow there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did get appropriate tonight. Let's talk about uh, this the story of the Native American spirits. Okay, that was one. That one's from the the Fentress County area, um, Jamestown area. There, that was. Uh, I've got so many of these now. Sometimes I have to look back and make sure which one I'm talking about. I think that's the one where the guy was uh, hauling uh, ashes for the garden. Let me get my book open here. Oh, is it? Yeah, the the. He was getting dirt for the garden, okay. and he no. went to the, the shortcut to the burial mound. Yeah. yeah. Totally, totally different that. story. My, my apologies there. Native American spirits, that, that was actually a family member of mine. We'd gone to the, the family farm, uh, which butts up against the Big South Fork National Park. And uh, I wasn't long on this trip. This was years before I was born, but it was a family member. And uh, he had gone down under one of the bluffs there. Uh, there was uh, bluffs where people had lived and hunted at, at some point, you know, prior to the white man being in the area. And he kept hearing voices just loud enough that he could tell it was people talking, but not loud enough that he could make out what they were saying. First, it sounded like they were up, up on top of the bluff, and he was waiting for uh, cousins to arrive. And he thought, okay, well, maybe they're here, and I'm hearing them come down the way their voice carries in the woods or whatever. So he goes back up, and now he hears the voices again. It sounds like they're down where he was. So he goes back down, and uh, this time sounds like the voices are coming from it within the, the bluff uh, area where he's at under the ground there. And kind of spooked him out that he, at this point, they were loud enough and clear enough that he could tell that what they were saying wasn't in English, and he felt it was some sort of maybe Cherokee or some sort of Native American language. And uh, he got out of there, and by the time he got back to the, the grandparents' house, the family farm there, the cousins were just arriving and carrying food in out of the car. So no explanation for that one. Is there a lot of Indian mounds in that area? Yeah, there's a lot of mounds, a lot of bluffs. Um, the, the strangest thing about that area, though, they haven't found, other than the mounds, they haven't found that many graves. And even the mounds that were dug years and years ago, they didn't find that many bones. And there was one really curious uh, bluff over there where there was one skeleton recovered from underneath that bluff and the, the person was buried sitting up. Hmm. And then um, another story that I don't have in any of the books yet, uh, the guy that, I'm trying to remember the name of his story that's in here, he told me another story about a place where they found uh, 
an Indian, what I thought was an Indian skeleton, but that it only had uh, one eye socket in the middle of its head. Whoa. Oh, wow. That's so, <laughs> like a cyclops or you know, something? A cy- cyclops in, in Ventress <laughs> County, yeah. And this guy, dead serious. He was an elderly man. His parents had came over from Ireland. He was a first-generation American. And these people lived, I mean, like 20, 30 miles back in the woods, had to either walk and carry their groceries or pull them on a mule wagon or something like this. I mean, we're talking hardcore Appalachia. Yeah. And he was he was dead serious that they had dug a skeleton. I think it was actually some of his brothers that had helped dig it up and dug a skeleton out of a bluff over there that had uh, one eye right in the middle of its head. That's going into like Nephilim territory right there. I mean, that's like, that's some crazy <laughs> or, stuff. Or the, the incest kid locked in the basement. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the other thought. I mean, along with hardcore yeah. Appalachia, there could be some hardcore. <laughs> Doing do banjos in the background. <laughs> Let's talk about the abandoned house. This was a, a spooky story. Yeah, that one. I heard that one from childhood. That was a cousin of mine, uh, and it was about her and her husband, first husband, and another couple that they hung out with when he was uh, stationed in uh, North Carolina in the military. They had gone just out in the mountains for a weekend and uh, hiking around and came across, like, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, a Victorian house that was had, you know, vines and things grown up over it. It was still in fairly good shape and uh, they worked their way in and I think the doors were nailed shut boarded shut they managed to get in and found that the place was like people had just walked away there she said there was still clothing laid out on the bed like for people to get dressed for dinner there was plates and silverware on the table and uh, looked around they almost felt like maybe it was people that had gotten trapped like in a, a secret chamber or something. Maybe these were some sort of people that were hiding from somebody out in the, the woods in this nice house. And uh, they, they checked the basement and all the, the drawing rooms and the parlor and everything for any type of secret panel and never found anything. And uh, when they left a few miles down the road, they stopped at a little like general store on the side of the road and, and quizzed the, storekeeper about it and he got very angry and refused to to talk about it and denied that any such place existed so they think they kind of stepped into some kind of maybe a legend or some kind of weird local something that nobody wants to talk about because you get uh-huh. that in the south too there's certain places i can take you to around cosby and, and ramsey and places over there where there was something that went on at some point that nobody wants to talk about Right. And they went back several times and couldn't find the place again. Yeah, they went back, couldn't find the place. And again, anytime they asked anybody in what they assumed was the immediate area, nobody like either, I don't know what you're talking about, or just an, an anger or resentment, or, you know, you don't want to mess with that and just leave it at that. So it's interesting. But I, I think they actually took a couple of items, like a lamp or a piece of furniture or something, just something small. But, uh, yeah, so that that one, like I said, I heard that one from a young age, and that one always made me very curious about, you know, why would somebody abandon their house and abandon all their things, and yeah. what could have happened there that other people didn't want to talk about? And maybe I'm thinking like a Lizzie Borden type murder, or who knows? It, it, just, it just abandoned out there in the woods too. I mean, you got to think maybe that it had to have been a long time because, like, the I guess the woods would have grown up around this place. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's a creepy element of it too. Is the yeah. the place settings on the table and the clothes in place? They there's obviously a lot of people living there that just left without grabbing a thing, without changing their routine in the middle of like whatever. Yeah, and you know that's happened throughout basically American history, going back to the the colony at uh, Roanoke, where the where they came back and all the people they left there are gone, and there was one word carved on a tree and. All the, uh, yeah, all their stuff is still there, and where'd they go? Who knows? You know, that's a lot of theories on that one, whether they were absorbed by the local tribe of Indians or murdered by the Indians or had a sort of a, some sort of cannibal moment or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not our past type winner. Yeah, right. Uh, um, evil in the Woods, this one was sufficiently creepy as well. Yeah, that one's very creepy. I've actually been close to that spot, but I didn't didn't want to go all the way up to it. Was that was just outside of Oak Ridge? A uh, guy that I worked with at a, another grocery store chain back in the eighties, early eighties, was telling me about that. And actually took me said right up to where the the edge of it was, and some sort of. Uh, I mean, it makes you wonder. Again, don't know if it was an actual cult meeting place or a bunch of heavy metal kids having drinking parties in the woods, but you know, <laughs> you're finding evidence of animal sacrifices, even if it is like a goose or a duck or a chicken or something and upside down crosses and pentagrams made of wood and things like that. And then the fact that he got a warning on his windshield written in mud, you know, don't come back. That'd be, that'd be sufficient for me. But okay. <laughs> Man, I, I remember when I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell me, Luke, that there was uh, like your someone you're related to, one of your younger cousins or whatever, saw some people walking through a neighborhood like in robes and stuff? Did you tell me something? Oh, like that? oh yeah, uh, my nephew um, in in his neighborhood. He, he's a teenager and he was out like looking for trouble with his his little buddies one night. So they were, you know, creeping around the neighborhood, going to construction sites and playing inside the the uh, unbuilt houses and stuff like that. And they heard some voices like coming toward them in the street and the streets weren't very well uh, illuminated. You know, there's some street lights, but not, not enough to illuminate everything. And um, they heard some like cackling and, and uh, talking indistinct chatter, you know, and um, they came closer and, and uh, he and his little buddy jumped in the bushes and hid, you know, and just watched him walk by. And it was a whole group of people in, in robes walking down the street. That's up, weird. In black robes. <laughs> Interesting. Now, I've, I've been on the other side of that, too. I used to have some really nosy neighbors when I moved into a place kind of out in the country. The neighbors were close but not too far away. And me and a, a cousin actually put on it was, it was some bath robes, but they were hooded, so it looked like a, a ceremonial robe of some sort. <laughs> and we had a little ceremony out in the yard with a, a candle and a, a Halloween skull. And uh, I didn't didn't have any trouble with the neighbors after that. So some things you kind of wonder: is it somebody just pulling a chain, or is it somebody really really up to something? Because I've seen evidence right. of both, and like I said, I've participated in some of the the more jovial sides of that. Yeah, it's like but, a, as a prank. Yeah, but there is something scary about it when you're out in the woods. And you find something like that. Another story in there has like uh, tarot cards nailed to a tree. That was up in the, the Jefferson National Forest in, uh, I think that's up on the Virginia-North Carolina border. And, yeah, there's 
person's walking along hiking and sees a tarot card nailed to a tree and go and look at that and see another one off in the distance and so on and so on with somebody trying to lead them off the trail or what I've always wondered, and, and she didn't remember what all the tarot cards were because she stopped after six or seven, I think. But I'm wondering if it was some sort of layout, if it, if you'd taken those cards and put them into a, a, the Irish wheel or one of those layouts, if it would what the reading would have been. Right. But um, she didn't want to stick around. She got creeped out. I mean, that's that's pretty intentional when you're you're nailing tarot cards to trees. <laughs> but th- well, there's I know a, it. There's a couple stories where I. I I wish the person would have been like, I don't brave enough or dumb enough to, <laughs> to follow <laughs> through and like see where things led. But mm-hmm. that was one of them. And there was um, there was another story in particular where it started off with a guy saying he had seen a lot of strange things in the woods, and he, I don't remember what the first one he said was, but then he said something about a guy in a clown mask and tube socks. <laughs> <laughs> but then he went on to tell a different story and not talk about that. So, yeah, that was um. The one about the pizza that the guy found. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was up in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens. And then that's just, that was kind of his lead in to that, believe it or not. Was, did, did he elaborate you know, on the guy with the tube socks and the clown mask at all? No. <laughs> that was apparently enough to make him think, you know, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> but yeah, they came across a, a fresh, um, apparently still warm pizza just on the ground in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, was weird. In the, the New Jersey Pine Barrens. And that was kind of his lead into that was, you know, I've seen lots of weird things in the Pine Barrens, including a guy wandering through the briars in nothing but a clown mask and tube socks. <laughs> he says, but that's another story. And I, I need to get a hold of that guy. I, I still yeah. have contact with him. And I, I would love to hear the rest of that story. We, we need to, to know that story. I mean, that's... <laughs> sounds sounds yeah, like that's, he likes pain. That's pizza. the way he wanted to tell it, but... Yeah, they were saying that maybe that was some sort of trap, that that was the, the Jersey Devil's way. Oh, look, pizza, and then you go over for the pizza, and then <laughs> something grabs you. Or the guy with uh, the clown mask and tube socks. You know, yeah. A machete in your back. Yeah. Sounds kind of. I don't think I'd, I'd rather face down the Jersey Devil. So, sounds kind of like a fraternity, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> I've heard of an, another weird one like that where I think it was somewhere in Africa where they were finding – uh, some sort of, I think it was a gorilla, type of, some type of gorilla, a fairly large ape, in other words, that wandering around in clown suits. And what they eventually decided was that a wealthy hunter of some sort was shooting these apes with a dart gun and you know knocking them out and then dressed them in a clown suit. What? So you've got these semi-drugged apes walking around in the jungle with a clown suit on. Now, that's that's wow. one of those things where you've got a lot of money and a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> what am I going to do today? I know. I'm going to go shoot some apes and tranquilize them and put them in clown suits. Won't that be funny? So I can appreciate the sense of humor there. <laughs> that is a very strange warped sense of humor. Yeah, absolutely. The, the crying baby. Anytime... With like babies crying, disembodied babies crying, that that always freaks me out. Yeah, that's that's another one. That was actually my my grandfather that that happened to, and he would would tell that story, and he was very very somber about. It. I mean they they looked everywhere for the crying baby, and sounded like it was coming from here, it was coming from there, it was coming behind the door, and uh, it sort of. And he was the type of person that wasn't afraid of anything. He had been a railroad detective. And uh, 
this is a long, long time ago. He died when I was very, very small. But uh, he just, he wasn't the type of person that was afraid of anything, which is why he was one of the ones that stayed and looked for the crying baby. But there's been some other cases like that. There's a, uh, and if the weird thing about this, a lot of these tales, if you look around, they're not locked into one certain area. There's a, a story about a crybaby bridge that's like somewhere in Texas is, I think, the most well-known one. But if you start looking into that, there's a lot of communities throughout the United States and probably other countries, too, that have almost the same legend word for word about a, a mother and a baby that, that leapt off a bridge and you can still hear the baby crying on certain yeah. nights down in the water and, and see the ghost of the mother looking for the baby. But I agree. There's just there, To me, there would be nothing scarier than a, the sound of a crying baby in the, yeah. in the dark. You know, just having a baby accidentally is scary enough. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unsettling that, just to hear one. That, that's that's one of my biggest fears. Yeah, that's the, that would be Luke's haunted house is like being yeah. handed a child, cry, to take yeah. care crying, of. Babies. Crying, <laughs> crying babies everywhere, and, and and girls like coming forth saying that they're the that that I'm the dad with with proof of paternity test. Yeah, yeah, with, with paternity <laughs> test in their hands. Oh, dude, that's terrifying. <laughs> Well, I want to ask you about one that, that that might in the same book that might explain some of that, and that's the screaming woman. Okay, the screaming woman. I'll have to pull that one back up. Okay, that's that's another one from um, the hills of East Tennessee. That one actually might be Fentress County, so that's more Middle Tennessee. And uh, it's just there's a certain area that you can go to. It's like a, a hollow or a holler, as they call it in the vernacular there and there's stories you know you don't know if the, the the sound came first and then the story was made up to account for the sound or vice versa but there was supposedly a woman murdered in the area and the problem i have with it being something organic or something natural because i had lots of people tell me that you know uh, certain types of big cats when they they yell or, or make yeah. their noise it will sound like almost mimic a woman crying but when you've got something that happens for, for decades, it's probably not a big cat. You know, that's, and um, that was near one of the, the waterfalls there where somebody had supposedly gone over a waterfall. And they, they did find a big cat in the area, I think, but it was, you know, this, it was coming from different directions. He would hear, and then that, again, that also sounds like a predatory cat, but again, even a big cat can only move so fast and so quietly. So that's one of those where there's maybe an explanation. And the guy that was telling me the story, he's thinking, yeah, it was probably a big cat. But then you could tell he didn't really believe that. He was just trying to convince himself that uh, I'm pretty sure what I heard was a big cat. I mean, I'd be I'd be scared to, to think that there was a mountain lion stalking you more than like a disembodied screaming woman. I mean. <laughs> But like Luke, he's uh, he's experienced that. Like, uh, was it a bobcat scream? Uh, um, yeah, either that or I guess mountain lions are more rare in, in the region I, that I came from. But um, it, I guess it could have been a bobcat too. Both of them sound like women's screams. Yeah, from, they're, they're from both my research. Yeah, yeah. So I've, unfortunately, I've never heard one that I know of. So I mean, I have heard heard people scream in the woods. So maybe it was a a bobcat <laughs> or a wildcat or something that I've heard. But that, that kind of leads up to another thing there. It's 
where your mind's at, I think, and what you're open to. You know, one person hears that and they think, oh, it's a big cat. And somebody else is thinking, you know, it's the spirit of a woman. So it's just where you are and, and what you can convince yourself of. There's a, another story in the first book called uh, The Light in the Coffin. Oh, yeah. Did, did you like that one? Oh, yeah. And that's, that was a guy that my dad worked with. He'd gone out and I think he was on his way back from a date and uh, walking home, and he saw what he thought was a light inside a coffin. And again, these were simple mountain folk, very superstitious. And when you saw something like that, it was it was an omen. You know, it was a portent. There was something bad going to happen, and uh, most likely to you if you're the one that saw it. So he goes back home. He's shaking. He's crying. He's thinking, you know, this is my last night on earth. And his dad finally just, you know, son, come on. We're going to go look and see what it was. Turns out it's a piece of a hollow log with a spider web, and inside the spider web there's a lightning bug caught in there, and it's sitting and flashing. So, again, it's what you can convince yourself of. If he, if his dad hadn't taken him back out there and went and looked, he might have, you know, actually died from fright or, or gave himself some sort of panic attack or something. So, yeah, you can work know. yourself up to be so scared where your senses just are just working overtime in a particular situation. Well, I, yeah, and I've I, done that before as a child. You know, put yourself in a, a dark room in the basement or something and start thinking about scary things, and you'll come out of there in a few minutes. You'll hear stuff, you'll see stuff, you'll experience yep. stuff, and it's it's all in your head. And I like that there was uh, there was some stories that were just beyond bizarre. It had no explanation, and then there was those kind of stories that had a logical explanation. And then there was a few like the um, – I don't remember what what the chapter was called, but with the the giant ice ball, um, that that seems like it could have a natural explanation, but nothing that we necessarily can. Yeah, that's down you're to. almost getting into the realms of like the if you've ever read any of William Corliss's books or uh, Charles Fort, where you had ice falls and things like that. There's unexpected things that happen, uh, things in the weather, and things that appear. Supernatural, but I'm sure there is some sort of natural explanation for it, you know, some type of giant hail, or but it's it's odd that they're happen, you know, in isolated locations like that. That like when they've had a rain of frogs or small fish, you'll have right. people say, "Oh, it was a specific gravity of those animals, and they were picked up from this area and, and swept over to this area by the winds." But what about other things, the size and weight of those frogs? You know, there should be rocks or sticks or something and not just specifically frogs. But then I've also heard from the far <coughs> left explanation for that, the, the left-hand side of things, that it's uh, some sort of a cultic or a witchcraft thing, that that was something that was meant specifically for one person or one group of people to see as some sort of evidence of whatever they've been up to mm. and somebody else just happened to witness it. Sort of the Aleister Crowley explanation for it there, if you will. Right, right. Interesting. So, you Interesting. The, the floating coffin. Yeah, that's that's a great one. I've actually been to that area. I've stood in the place where it was seen and, and heard. That was uh, my dad's sister and uh, I think both of his sisters. They were picking berries and uh, that's another thing. If you look at like some of uh, David Politis' work, a lot of people have gone missing while they were picking berries or near water. This one, they, they were both, they were near water and they were picking berries and they saw what looked like to be a, a pine coffin coming up the hollow 
where they were. I think there was an old railroad bed there. And that's that's another instance where you'll often find a lot of legends or stories around old railroad beds. And I've even read some scientific things that it's due to the construction of the railroad bed, the way the, the rocks and the sand and the gravel and everything is put together in there that it's, again, depending on who you listen to, it's more of a vortice for that type of energy or it causes hallucinations based on the electrical magnetical properties of the rocks. But either way, they saw a coffin come up the railroad bed, go up the top of the hill out of sight, floating along like it was being carried by people, but no people visible. And uh, they again, they took that as an, an omen and uh, some sort of foretelling. And there was like a, a widow lady that lived in the next hollow over or something that died a couple of days later. And they think that's what it was. It was a, a sign that she was going to pass away. So strange. Uh, that was something that I think I'd never have heard of ever. <laughs> a floating coffin. Yeah, and the uh, same area, uh, Flying Oregon, the story that opens the book, that was my father's two brothers when they were kids. And this would have been, you know, in the late 20s, early 30s. So there wasn't a lot going on in Fentress County at that time. You know, there's no airplanes to speak of. And uh, they heard what sounded like a church organ flying over where they were an old-timey pump organ. They could hear a tune, but they couldn't make out what the tune was, but just that it, you know, had a melody and everything. Passed right over their heads on a cloudless summer day over the next ridge top, and then faded off into the distance. And it just it kind of spooked them a little bit, but again, there's not really anything to be scared of like that, but then there's also a very almost subhuman fear of anything you know that's out of the ordinary like that so to me that's one of those that i would think you know hey that's fascinating and then once i thought about it I'd be like that's really scary i want to get the crap out of here right now yeah really uh, well also you got another story about fentress county and that is the the bigfoot of fentress county yeah that's a friend of the family there was a, an accident on the next farm over a guy had cut his leg with a chainsaw and they sent an ambulance. This was recently. This was, and I say recently, it's probably late 80s, early 90s, recently than some of the other stories in there. And uh, the guy that was on the next farm over, when the ambulance left running the, the siren, he heard something answering to the siren. And uh, he thinks it's Bigfoot. And I've been in the, the same area. And again, this is near the, the Big South Fork National Park over there. And uh, I've camped over in there, done some some rough primitive camping, and there there are things out there in the woods with you. I've heard the the yips and the yowls, and the tree knocks. Um, I've talked about this on some other appearances, but I've, I've been pelted with stones before, and it's weird. They're like they're not gravel or what you would expect to find in the woods, but they're like little round, flat, almost like river rocks. And when they would hit me. I would pick them up and they would feel warm to the touch, like something or somebody had been holding them in its hand or in a pocket or something. Hmm. And the other odd thing is when they struck me, it didn't feel like I'd been hit by a rock. It felt like something soft had hit me and then I would feel the impact of the rock hitting the ground at my feet. So it was almost like there was a force field around the rock. It was very strange hmm. and I know I probably sound like a lunatic, but that's that's the only way I can describe it. And when the rocks would hit, they wouldn't come in at, at an arc like somebody had tossed them. They would come straight, almost like they were shot out of something. But I'm talking about 
way, way, way out in the miles, miles out in the woods where there's nobody or nothing. So I don't know what it was. I have no explanation for it. But in those circumstances, whatever area I was in, I would move along, and then it would seem to, to placate whatever was throwing rocks at me, and it would stop. There was some place that it didn't want me to be or something I wasn't supposed to be near, so I would leave it alone, and it would stop at that. seems like there's a lot of weirdness out in Fentress County. I think there would be something to do with the – the mounds that are there? Yeah, there's there's a lot of Indian mounds there, as I said before, and then the, the bluffs where they lived and hunted. Uh, always found a lot of arrowheads over there. My grandparents had a 900-acre a farm, and I would go over and walk the, the fields when I was a kid right after they had plowed or <coughs> after a good rain. You could always find good air points, found a few spear points. Uh, there was a really nice stone axe found over there at one time. So it's it's an area that's been lived and worked for centuries before the white man came in. But what's really strange is other than the few mounds there and the, the one cyclops, there's never been that many skeletons found over there. And I've heard a lot of speculation on that, that somewhere over there there's like a, a huge burial ground that's probably got thousands and thousands of people in it. Hmm. Because the... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, one of the, the interesting ones was uh, the black dog. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a cousin, and they were in Indiana at the time. He'd been out messing around in the, the cornfields and kind of got lost. And I can respect that because I've seen some of those cornfields that they have in Indiana and Ohio, and it's just literally miles and miles of yeah. roads of corn. And uh, got lost and finally found his way back to a paved road, but wasn't even sure if it was the right paved road. And uh, this large black dog that was kind of nudged him along, and he thought at first it was going to eat him or something because it was so, so much bigger than him. But then it turned out to be benevolent. It led him not even to the road, but actually kind of showed him which way to go on the road. Well, he's walking along, the dog's with him, sees headlights coming, and it's his dad uh, being driven by his uncle in his uncle's old car. They get him, you know, get him in the car. Where you been? You know, we've been worried about you. Been looking for you for hours. And he's telling mom, you know, the the big black dog helped me find the road and helped me find my way back. And they're like, what dog? And they hadn't seen any dog when the kid was standing there on the side of the road waiting for the the car headlights to to come all the way up. And uh, the they knew everybody. The it was one of these small farming communities where everybody knows everybody, and they pretty much said that there was no dog like that anywhere in the area. So that's that's strange one. But that's, again, that's one of those legends uh, that's very popular in Europe, the yeah. legends of black dogs. But there, they're not so benevolent. They're usually, again, some sort of omen or harboring yeah. or death or something like that. So, Yeah, Luke actually has a black dog story. You know, I mean, I, I, was, I was partying pretty heavy then, so I was like half asleep driving home. You know, so I kind of I kind of blame seeing that on just just being tired and probably still tipsy. Yeah, maybe well, so. Maybe you were just more open to more open to it. Yeah, yeah. Did it did it feel evil or? I I mean I you know I was just driving down a little two lane uh, country road. You know, no lights or anything uh, other than my brights on, and I just saw. Um, something that looked like a large animal, you know, like the, like the size of a deer, but it was all black and it uh, crossed the road pretty quickly. 
And I got past it, and I'm looking at the rearview mirror to, to see any sign of it again, and, and I couldn't see anything. Interesting. Now, in my new book, I've got a story where uh, this is in North Georgia. Some people were driving up into Tennessee, and they hit something with a car. There's one car following the other, and the lead car hit something, and they never did find out what it was, but they said it was so large, it was either a, a really large, shiny black dog or get this, a man in a wetsuit crawling yeah. hands and knees across the road. And uh, they actually went back and looked at the car. was a mess. There was blood all over the car. They went back and looked, and other than a little bit of blood on the road, they never found anything. But after they got to where they were going and saw how much blood was on the car, they thought they might have actually hit a human. But uh, that was that's a really creepy story to me. Reminds <laughs> me a lot of the, uh, the Black Panther stories, too, that – uh, the panther would have that kind of machine to it, you know, shiny, look like it was wet or, or maybe wearing a wetsuit or something. Let's talk about, um, and that is a story from more strange things in the woods. So let's, let's get into some of those stories. And, and I think even more creepy factors in this, in this, in this book than in the first. Uh, and that's uh, the one that, that I really liked was the vanished calf. Yeah, then that's that's another one. That's that's a family friend. Um, his his uncle had they lived on a small farm and had a calf go missing. And even on a probably not so small farm, you know, one calf can account for a, a lot of money or depending right. on what you're going to do with it. So the the guy goes out looking for it, and uh, he, he keeps thinking he hears it making like a not so much a distress call, but just you know a normal call like a lowing instead of a bawling. And goes looking for it, and he'll hear it in one direction, goes that direction, then it seems to come from another direction, goes that direction. And before he, he realized it almost, he's quite a ways from the house. It's very dark, you know, late at night, and he's afraid that he's going to get lost. So he, he kind of goes back, and uh, on the way back to the house, he sees, like, these weird lights and hears um, – strange voices he said it sounded like uh, somebody talking on a, a record album but like a 33 rpm album being played back at 45 hmm. just high-pitched like chattering almost yeah and uh so he goes back never did find the calf but the next day in the area where he saw the lights and stuff he said there was some sort of prints in the ground he said they were around as as pie plates like almost where a a craft or something had landed and he felt like, and again, this is like one of those cautionary tales, you know, something trying to lead him away, trying to get him away from the house. And if it gotten him far enough and disoriented enough that he feels like he would have vanished along with the calf. Right. And that, that, that kind of goes back into the whole politis into his theories and such. Yeah. Where mice being led away or there's been cases in there where children have <laughs> talked about, a bear or a big dog that that fed them berries and, and cuddled up with them to keep them warm. And you know, I'm from the Smokies. I've seen a lot of black bear and stuff, and I've yet to see one that's going to feed me berries or cuddle up with me. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's going to eat my face off or crush <laughs> my head or something. But I don't think you know. It's it's just weird when you when you get into some of that stuff. Ghostly school bus. Yeah, that's that one's another. Real creeper guy was BB hunting in a in a briar thicket in a basically an abandoned dried quarry 
and came across a school bus inside there. Uh, manages to, to work the door open inside, checking it out, and he hears voices. So he kind of hides in the back. Turns out it's his two young girls. So he, he just like kind of scoots down. Doesn't want them to see him back there with a gun. You know, he's afraid they'll freak out and yeah. go, go tell some wild story you know, that there's a guy chasing them with a gun or whatever. So he kind of just listens to him talk, kind of lulls himself to sleep. He wakes up and realizes that the, he hadn't heard him get off the bus or anything, but they're gone. He peeks up. There's nobody in there and can't find any evidence that anybody's ever been inside the bus. And then he leaves that day. It's starting to get dark. Comes back, not anytime soon, but probably several months later, and finds the briar thicket. But there's no bus inside it anymore. And again, no evidence of anybody having pulled the bus out of there. And not even sure how a bus would have got in a briar thicket in the bottom of a a quarry anyway. So that one's that one's strange on several levels. Uh, the guy that was talking to me he thinks that the the little girls were some kind of spirits that were attached to the bus somehow, but he can't explain the, the bus. Yeah. And apparently he was inside the bus for a long time uh-huh. and just, they were, he heard them talking and then after a while, he just, everything just got didn't silent. Hear it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Then realized they were gone and maybe he had dozed off, but he said it, it made enough noise creaking, you know, the door open when he got in and when they got in the first time that, he doesn't see how there's any way he could have not heard them leave. Yeah, that's weird. And go back to look for the bus several months later, and it's there's no sign of it. So, any theories as to what may, may how it could have been out there or could have been taken away? Yeah, I've I've seen some quarries that had old vehicles and things tossed in them. I've right. seen people do that to create fishing areas and. But uh, this one sounded like he said the bus was still in good shape. You know, the, the upholstery and things on the seats was cracked, but it was still there. So I don't know. And somebody may could have been stolen and they hid it in there and then decided to go back and get it. But uh, after a few months worth of time, I guess, you know, that might cover up any tracks or briars grow back eventually. But it's interesting to think about. It really is. I mean, and there's another one, uh, the Phantom Woodsman, uh, that's kind of similar to the Black Dog story. Yeah, that's uh, another friend of the family, and I know this guy personally. He's sober, a teetotaler, a very uh, strictly raised Mormon. And uh, he'd gotten angry and just went for a walk in the woods and more like a stomp in the woods, I think he said, and wasn't prepared and had gotten lost. And this was a guy, he was normally the type that would take, you know, all kinds of things with him when he was going into the woods and uh, got lost. This was in, I uh, can't remember the name of the state park that he was in, but it's it's also in East Tennessee. Might be Pickett yeah, or uh, along the Obed River over there somewhere. But anyway, yeah, he wandered around and he was actually in the woods for a couple of days and thought he was going to die. And uh, he kept realized he was hearing a noise and he, he went to the noise and it was a guy chopping wood, cutting a tree down in there. And the guy led him part of the way back out and told him where to go and, and how to get out. And he, he wandered out at a ranger station and the, the ranger was taking him back to where his stuff was, vehicle. 
And I uh, said, you know, there's, he told him, you know, that if it hadn't been for the woodsman, he, the guy cutting trees, he probably would have died. And the ranger's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's not supposed to be anybody in there cutting trees. You know, we don't even issue permits or anything like that, having in a long time. And he believes that was some sort of, you know, like a supernatural entity. Like you said, the black dog, it was something benevolent that, that led him to safety. He said there's part of him that almost wants to say it was like a hallucination because it seemed so unreal. Good. But he also hadn't had anything really to eat or drink for almost two days at that time. So it could have been a hallucination. could have been somebody chopping wood illegally, a little of both. I mean, I I like to look for a, a scientific and rational explanation if there is one, but I'm not beyond accepting a supernatural one either if that's you know looks like the best fit. Right, right. Uh, the demon frog. That was an interesting one. Yeah, that's... Again, that one was just an acquaintance, but uh, saw somebody doing something in the weird, the weird in the woods. A young girl dressed in black, long hair, and appeared to be doing some kind of ritual. And you know, there's there's a lot of self style witches, a lot of people that, that follow their own own path into things. And uh, he was thinking maybe that it was something like that, but she'd lit some candle stubs and had some kind of little ceremony going on and then she wrapped something up in a cloth and put it in a tree and uh, after she leaves the guy goes and looks at it and it's this weird rubber frog that has like human facial features and pointed ears and stuff and it it kind of of creeped him out because you know who knows who she was or what she was up to or or what it was intended for you look a little perplexed there like yeah I'm just trying to Look at it because, you know, I, I read a bunch of Wiccan books and stuff when I was younger and trying to look at it from that perspective and and think why she would do something like that. Yeah, that's what, kind of what I'm thinking. It was a, some sort of lone practitioner just following her own, you know, kitchen witch doing her own kind of thing. And that was probably, a, I'm thinking, an ex-boyfriend or something that she was. Uh, I knew a, a Wiccan lady one time that had a little doll that she made that represented her ex-husband and she put him in a cauldron as a form of punishment and that was supposed to to hold him in that cauldron was to uh, keep away any kind of luck or good fortune or anything that he could have until she was ready for him to have it. So I'm thinking it's probably something like that. It's it's bizarre, but I'm sure whoever the girl doing it actually had some sort of reason behind it. Yeah, it was explainable for her. This was just kind of... this was just kind of like a weird anomaly, and that's uh, Surf's Up. Yeah, I, that, I know that guy personally, and I've actually seen the surfboard. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the guy was just, he was out messing around. The woods. he sees something up in the sky that's, like, twirling. And he thought, oh, it's a kite, you know, or an airplane, something. And then it's <laughs> closer, he realizes that it's a piece of something. And he's thinking, you know, the plane's lost a wing or part of its fuselage or tailpiece or something watches it comes down hears it hit the tree falls nearby walks over to it and it's a a surfboard um made by a company in the outer banks called wave riding vehicles it's one of the old foam core boards with fiberglass layered on the outside of it and uh got a couple pretty good nicks in it a big chunk knocked out of from where it hit one of the tree limbs but again, that's that's almost one of those Fordian type things. And I've, I've seen the surfboard and, and heard the story that he saw it fall from the sky. 
on a sunny day. Now, now what happened? You know, did somebody have it, you know, lashed to the outside of a Piper club and they were flying over to the coast to, yeah. and this is, you know, several hundred miles from the ocean. So did a strong wind pick it up and, and take off into the upper atmosphere with it for it to, you know, coast along on the, the jet stream, who knows, but there it is, you know, a surfboard falling out of the sky in the woods. I thought, I thought the hat man was also, that's kind of like a more of a, I guess, Southern Louisiana story. Yeah, that was in Dunn, North Carolina. Um, and it's, it has its, its roots in voodoo. Uh, Duende, what they call the hat man was, a little, little girl's out playing and she sees a man with a hat. I think he was smoking a pipe or a cigar or something. And he's grinning at her, smiling at her. It made her feel weird. So she goes in and tells her, her aunties, and uh, they knew right away what it was and, and what they needed to do to get rid of him. And there was like a little ritual that they did where they put some salt and some pennies on a plate and put some some snacks or something out there for him. But it's it's uh, a well-known figure in voodoo. But there's been instances of the hat man in other you know parts of the country that aren't related so much to voodoo. And it's because these women were from Louisiana the Delta area that they knew what to do. But uh, if you go online and search for hat man stories, there's a lot of them out there and they seem to be getting more prevalent within the past decade or so. It kind of ties in with some of the, the slender man type stuff. Yeah. yeah and then also, huh? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say also when I was in the, the Philippines, they had a very similar legend over there, Capre, which was a, a man that sat in a mangrove trees and smoked a pipe and uh, tried to steal children. And it's weird, but a lot of the legends that you hear in the States, you'll hear those in other countries and things too. There they also had, had ghosts, which are multos. They had um, vampires, which were called Asawang. And the difference there, the vampire separates at the waist and the top half flies around at night looking for people to kill. Yeah, I've and heard of that. Yeah. Instead of biting the neck, it's got a, a barbed tongue that it, it pierces the, the skin with. And to kill one of their vampires, you have to find the bottom part of the torso there and pour salt in it so that it can't <laughs> join back together before the sun comes up. Yeah, it's like this big flying disembodied head. You know, it, it's interesting, like the, the hat man stuff. We, we talked about on the show uh, about Walking Sam, who's this entity that apparently shows up around like the Lakota Sioux Reservation. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, my wife, uh, she's from Brazil. And when she was younger, there were all these stories uh, going on, like in the, like the early 90s about these people, like a famous musician selling the, their soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. And so my wife being kind of young, and she grew up in like a like evangelical Christian surrounding. So she being very young, you know, said something or like to wish to, to sell her, her soul to the devil to be, to be famous. And so she went outside walking around and all of a sudden this guy in a hat shows up and starts talking to her and saying, I'm here. Do you want to... I'm here now. You, you called me and she got scared and ran away, but it's interesting. And, and I thought, wow, that's like one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. 
but it's interesting that like there's that motif and then you have like the shadow people uh, where people in sleep paralysis episodes will see the man in the hat. Uh, and what you're talking about there about, about the devil. I've, I've heard that story a couple of different times. There was yeah. a, a guy that I used to go to church with. Actually, his dad was the pastor and he had a testimony that he would give at one time. He was a, an aspiring Christian rock musician and he was thinking about branching out into regular rock and he had a guy show up in a suit one night at his door and he lived out in the country but a guy shows up in a suit and tells him I'm the devil and I'm here you know to set up a contract so you can sell your soul to become this rock musician that you want to become and this guy was 100% earnest in his telling of the story so it's just it's weird and that's you know cross-cultural boundaries too and then you have the whole thing about the crossroads in right. the South, Robert Johnson. There's some, yeah. some really good books written about that, the Hellhounds on My Trail, about how the the devil and rock music, there's just interesting stuff. And I grew up in that time and was in church when a lot of the, what they call now the satanic panic, when uh, uh-huh. uh, the guy, um, oh, there was tapes that circulated around. John Todd, did you ever hear any of the John yeah, Todd? Yeah, I know what you talk about, yeah. <laughs> That was my first introduction to how basically every rock group you've ever heard of after Elvis is evil and somehow tied to the devil. <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting because like in the in the uh, when she told me that story, what I immediately thought of at the time was that story about Robert Johnson and the crossroads and that it's that old man shows up at the crossroads and he's wearing a hat. Mm hmm. So it's like these cultural motifs, archetypes. Yeah, I never heard and of that. And that's one. that's built into uh, voodoo too. A lot of the the loa, like Papa Legba, and some of the higher authority loa will wear a top hat or a tall hat. Yeah, and that that's how they're identified. Let, let, let's talk about two that were that I found particularly interesting because they were from where I'm from, which is kind of like the like little Chattanooga, North Georgia area. And that one was one was the accident, and the other one was the lost soldier, which particularly for me was like I've been to Chickamauga Battlefield like probably a billion times. So I'm very yeah. familiar with some of the stuff that, that legends that are there. Yeah, the let's, let's start with Chickamauga first. So that yeah. that's one of my favorites too. I spent a lot of time there. I had a aunt and uncle that lived in Fort Oglethorpe for a while, literally oh, just yeah. uh, half a mile from. Battlefield. So when I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time hiking in there and uh, hold, heard the, the stories, you know, about the, the entities and the things in the tower there on Snodgrass Hill and uh-huh. all the weird things being seen. Apparently, some of that was seen even prior to the Civil War that while the battle was going on, there was some kind of creature in there floating around among the corpses that, that's been seen there for a while. But, uh, yeah, that one, the guy was... Uh, driving through and I know right the area where he was driving through there where he talks about the shortcut that he would take through there. I think he lived in Chattanooga and was dating a girl in North Georgia or vice versa. But uh, he'd been out late and and saw what looked like uh, somebody in full Confederate gear just kind of in the mist and he's thinking, no, there's no reenactments, you know, what's what's going on here? There's nobody's supposed to be out here dressed like that, especially this time of night and this time of year and uh, it caused him to be late. And the next morning was when they had the big pile up there in uh, 
I think that was around South Pittsburgh or wherever it was on the interstate there. Uh, was it 75? Like it was like a, between Cleveland and Athens, I think, or between Chattanooga yeah. and Athens. Yeah. It had like an 80 car pile up. Yeah, I, I remember when that happened. That was crazy. Yeah, I can remember it happening too. And he was saying that he thinks that's what that was, that the, the ghost of the soldier, he was supposed to see that that caused this chain of events to make him late the next day. Otherwise, he would have been right in the middle of that crash, and he thinks he would have been injured or killed. But uh, yeah, there's there's definitely something down there. The, uh, the the guy retired. I think he may even be dead now. I can't remember his name, but he was one of the the park rangers there, and he had collected all the stories of the, the monster, the uh, what they call old green eyes or something like that. Yeah, the, yeah. the beast that they see there and. There was uh, a story about some college kids that had, had gotten into the tower there on Snodgrass Hill, and one guy got so scared that he jumped out of the window but didn't realize he was like two or three stories up and, and messed himself up real good when he fell. But there's there's a definite something there. I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, I've spent enough time there, and there's even times, and I know, you know, you've got the – Although the park, the amusement park and everything nearby, but there was times I'd been out there, I mean, literally in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, it's dead silent, nothing going on. And you can hear people, I mean, lots of them. You can hear gunshots. I mean, again, it's the South, you know, that in and of itself is not that unusual, but there is something there. I think it's it's almost like a, a Gettysburg or something. I think there's parts of that battle maybe just because it was so horrific and so bloody and there was such a loss of life that for whatever reason plays over and over. And I've heard the, the theory, you know, that it's something in the, the limestone, a lot of limestone there in Georgia, that it absorbs the energy and it's almost like a, a videotape or an audio tape, you know, that's the ferrous oxide is on the tape and that's what holds the signal and you play it back and play it back. That There may be something that somehow those emotions are attached in the rock there and it continually plays over and over when uh, Chickamauga was, right. it was a horrendous battle. Yeah. Outside of Gettysburg, I think it's considered one of the worst or, or yeah. one of the bloodiest for, or maybe even the most loss of life in one day. The, the accident was also another interesting one. I think it was that around that same area. It's the same area, a little bit closer to, uh, I can't remember the part of Georgia there, but yeah, that was a, a guy and his dad. They were coming back from uh, an auto auction, and I think may may not have this right. I think they were coming back from Georgia, going into Chattanooga. It might be the other way around, going out of Georgia back into Tennessee, and uh, they came across uh, some sort of accident site in in the highway. There, two lane highway. There was a van blocking. The wrong side of the road, the back was opened up. There was power tools and things spilled out. Uh, there was a bunch of tree limbs and things in the road. And the guy said he noticed and then off to the side on the shoulder under a big pile of broken limbs and brush and stuff there, there was a motorcycle sitting there. And then he noticed that there's blood like dripping off the leaves and there's, there's blood on the motorcycle. He even got blood on his hand. So they kind of look at it and it scares them. There's nobody around. They yell. Nobody's, you know, no response. So they hop in their car and take off the, the same direction that they're going. Well, they come to a little all-night diner at some point. They're about 15, 20 minutes away. Just so happens there's a state trooper pulling in about the same time they are. They jump out, tell the guy this fantastical story, and he kind of looks at them like, 
yeah, okay, but let's go check it out. Of course, they, they get in, follow the guy back. So if you count there, tell the story, come back. It's probably been 30, 40 minutes. No sign of it left other than some broken broken branches and things. The van's gone. The power tools are gone. The motorcycle's gone. Uh, there's still some broken limbs and, and leaves and stuff there. Obviously, something has happened, but it was all cleaned up. And the, the guy that told me that, he's like, you know, I don't know if that was like some sort of mob hit where somebody was killed or some sort of, you know, he said, I'm sure there was some sort of crime scene. It wasn't just an accident. He said, that was what we thought at first, that the, the van had hit the motorcycle, knocked it off the side of the road, and then the van had careened over onto the other side of the highway, hit something which blew the doors open in the back and all the tools came out. But he's like, there was nobody around. There was no bodies. There was blood, but there was no bodies. Wow. And then when they get back with the trooper, nothing there, you know, other than some broken branches and things. Yeah, so it was, whatever it was, it was cleaned up fairly quickly. And he he just always wondered. He said, "You know, what if we had stayed there? What would have happened? You know, yeah. or if if I'd stayed there, my dad went ahead, you know, to to look for somebody. He's like, you know, would we have been involved? Would we have became you know missing or or whatever? Because it's kind of creepy when you think about it. I mean, to me, it doesn't sound like something supernatural so much as it sounds like something homicidal." That it was clear, it was cleared up and cleaned up real quick. Uh, uh -huh. Another one that's kind of along that same vein, uh, and this one is just, uh, just very strange, is the pile of wallets. Yeah, that one. That's one of my favorite stories in the book. That was um, a guy that I worked with in East Knoxville, or I'm sorry, West Knoxville, Cedar Bluff area, back in the early '80s, like '82, '83. And he was from New Hampshire. And I was just, you know, I said, I've always had an interest in things weird and stuff in the woods. You know, and I was talking something at work one night and guys like, yeah, you want to hear something weird? I'll tell you something weird. And he spins this story that he's out just poking around in the woods in New England in the fall. And uh, this one little area, he notices something doesn't look right about this area under a little pine thicket there. Goes back in there, sort of pokes around with a stick and all of a sudden he sees that there's a bunch of wallets there and not only wallets. I mean, there's, there's ID in them, there's credit cards in them. There's even some, some money and things there. And he gets the heebie jeebies, you know, the hair standing up on the back of his neck. And apparently there was a serial killer or two operating in the area at the time. So he's thinking, you know, I've found the dumping ground. There's probably bodies here. And if I don't get out of here, I'm going to be one of the next. So, and this is, you know, like he's telling me this probably in 83 or so. And this had happened like about the year before. He's down visiting his grandmother for the summer in East Tennessee. We met working together. And I'd always remembered that story. And it's one of those, you know, I had somebody from work, whatever. I'll go ahead and put it in the book. I almost didn't. And I, I talked to some other people. And I'm like, no, go ahead and put it in there. You know, it's still a cool, creepy story. Who knows? Well, after I came out with the book, I was doing some research online, and I actually found a report where in uh, New Hampshire, a hunter had found some wallets, uh, called the police. The police went and investigated. Same thing. The cops thinking, you know, these, there's probably a dumping ground here. There's going to be bodies. And then it turns out there was somebody that had been robbing uh, hospitals in the nearby area in that same time frame. Oh. And they had dumped the wallets in the woods. I'm, I'll send you a link 
to the newspaper article. It's just one of those, you know, like I said, it just, even for me, that one sounded a little far-fetched and I was curious about putting it in the book, but I'm glad I went ahead and did it because there's provenance and I, I don't know how to get in touch with the guy that told me the story anymore. I haven't seen him in 30 years, but there it is, you know, just like he laid it out the cops even thinking the same thing this guy did 30 years ago, you know, oh, this is a serial killer country. I'm out of here. But then there was a yeah. rational explanation for it. So that type, you know, of vindication, if you will, that's that's really cool to have because there's some, some wild stories in here. And like I said, I take them at face value. I don't vet anything. Uh, if somebody has a story they want to share with me, I take it as it is and, you know, take their word for it. So, Well, that, that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, that's what I liked about it. There was such a range of... Some of them seem to have possibly a natural explanation. Some of them had a totally natural, like the the coffin with the light in it. Yeah, and some of them were just goofy. Like especially in the first book, I had the guy that was out hunting and sat down under a tree and the on a flat rock, and the rock kind of moved around. He oh, flips the, the rock the over, yeah. yeah. And there's a an aluminum briefcase under there, wired shut, and he's thinking, "Oh man, this is going to be full of drugs or cash." Or something. Well, that's for things. My mind is the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gets it open, and there's a, a dog's skeleton in there with a poem uh, laminated and said to Brewster, the best hunting dog ever, <laughs> best best bird dog ever, or something like that. And that's that's really touching, you know, that somebody thought enough about their bird dog to when he passed away to cram him into a aluminum suitcase and pump it out into the woods, you know, <laughs> several miles and then bury it under a tree in the area where the dog liked to hunt. So he just, he said he, you know, like wiped a tear from his eye and just wired it back together and put it back under there, you know, and covered it back up. R.I.P. Brewster. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, uh, we're, we're really not going to get a chance to talk about the other book, the third book, Bus Range World, but is there a story like from that book that, that you'd want to talk about? Oh gosh, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> my my strange world is actually the book of my personal experiences because I, I hear that a lot when I I go on these shows or talk about my book. People say, "Well, what's happened to you?" or "Have you ever had any personal experiences?" Well, I've got a book full of them. Uh, probably one of my favorite stories in there, and it's it's the, the very first one, and I've, I've talked about it on some other shows. As uh, I saw a full body apparition when I was six years old. I was out playing in our yard where we lived in, in West Knox County there in the Solway community. Um, I see a car come down the hill. It was like an inverted T intersection. And uh, we lived 200 feet off the, the road, off the main road. Our driveway was that long. I'm about halfway out in the yard. I see a car come down, stops at the stop sign. And I'm thinking maybe it's my friend from next door. And next door, you know, is a half a mile away. But I think maybe it's him coming back home. We're going to play together. He's five and I'm six. They just moved in. Well, I see from behind the car what looks like a kid run out and just darts across the road. And I'm thinking, well, that's not my friend, but that kid's going to get hurt. You know, he's just running out into the road and he's not even looking. And the driver of the car, the kid didn't get out of the car, but he came from behind the car. And the driver, I could see the driver's face. He didn't register what I was seeing. He didn't see what I was seeing. And the kid crosses the road at an angle, runs down into our yard. And this turned out the kid was like toddler size. And if you've ever seen kids that size, they'll, they've kind of mastered the art of walking, but they haven't got quite running down yet. And they'll, they'll run and then sort of just lose it and fall. 
well, that's what this kid did. He's running too fast, and then all of a sudden he just pitches forward, hits the ground, and he disappears. I did not take my eyes off the spot. I went directly to the area, maybe 75 feet away at that point because I was moving toward him when it happened. There's nothing there, no hole for a kid to fall in. There's, I even got a little shovel and dug in the, the grass there thinking I'm going to find a, a buried kid or something, but, but huh. nothing. And that was my first brush with the paranormal when I was, was six years old. And it just, that kind of opened up a, a lifetime of it. And uh, my grandmother considered herself a gypsy witch. She told fortunes and used you know, tea leaves and coffee grounds and things like that. And I told her about it much later in life. And she told me that that was something for me to see, to just kind of let me know that I was going to see things and experience things that sometimes there wouldn't be an explanation for it. Right, right. So I've, I've kind of embraced that, and that's, but it's, it didn't scare me at the time. But I just thought, you know, huh, that's not supposed to happen. Kids don't run through the yard and fall down and disappear. Steve, uh, we're we're almost out of time, but tell everybody real quick where they can get your books and where they can contact you, or or if anybody that hears this has any stories, where they can send them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right now, my books are exclusively uh, on Amazon. If you just look for uh, Steve Stockton or Strange Things in the Woods, those will come up along with my, my new book. Uh, it's Kindle versions right now. I've got paperbacks on the way. Uh, looking forward to that. It'll probably be available in other retailers after the paperbacks come out. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on uh, Twitter. At uh, Strange and Odd is my handle on there. Or you can email me at Steve Stockton and the numbers eight one at gmail.com. Love to hear from readers. Love to hear from people with stories to tell. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Steve, for coming on to Conspiracy Normal. We're, we're happy to have you. Rob, was there anything you wanted to? Yeah. Um, just real quick, I wanted to say that the first book, obviously, was, it was a lot of stories from where you grew up and relatives and, and friends and such. After that, did you get a lot of. Um, for the second book, I didn't get a chance to read it. Was it? Was there more stories that were sent into you that from people that you know had read the first book and were like, yeah, "Oh, here's my." The, yeah, the the first book kind of started. The second book is probably maybe thirty percent stories that were sent to me, and then the subsequent volume, the next volume of that series that I'm working on, is probably maybe fifty percent or more stories. So yeah, I love to, love to hear stories from people. I like the fact that it's self perpetuating and it's. It's a way to get those stories out there that might not otherwise ever be told. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Steve, so much for coming on. Been yeah, a, thanks. Been man. an awesome guest, and we're going to do this again uh, uh, to talk about the this book, uh, the uh, the third book, and then also talk about whatever comes next. So, are Sounds you going to have are you going to have more more strange things in the woods? Or yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do at least two more volumes. I'm. Uh, still more strange things in the wood or maybe son of more strange things. In the wood. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Revenge of return of one of those. But after a point, I'll, I'll probably do something else. I've got a book about the uh, Appalachian trail that I'm working on. And uh, I've got one that's about the Smokies in particular that has to do with, with legends and, and ghost stories and things. That one's almost finished. I wanted to have it finished by now, but I had some, some things happen to death in the family and some things like that. So I'm kind of behind on that, but hopefully I'll have that one out before Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Cool. All right, stay on the line for us, Steve. We're going to close this, this section out on conspiracy normal.
Back on Conspiracy Normal, guys. That was Steve Stockton with lots of strange stories of things in the woods and other places. Uh, that was some. That was that was a good show. Yeah, I love that. Like, I, I grew up in the woods. Like I, I mean, I spent my whole childhood playing around in the woods. And there's yeah, there's same here. There's there's just strange things happen. Like I, I there's a, a few um a lot of stories sort of resonated with with me with the um people just getting strange vibes in a certain area or you know. Like that kind yeah. of thing would happen a lot. Like you just, it's all just trees and rocks, but for some reason this area just feels wrong or this area feels this or that, you know? And You know, it's interesting because I, I was watching a documentary today about, it's called In Search of Fairies. And, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but like this is something that I like to kind of explore a little bit on the show, get somebody on there that might know something about it, but like, Fairy lore is so widespread across Europe and by extension now, naturally the United States considering all the immigration. Uh, this guy was looking at it from like, he's from the, one of the maritime provinces in Canada, which is like, I think was like Nova Scotia. He was looking at some of the traditions in Scotland and some of the, like, you know, we generally think of fairies in, like, popular culture primarily because of, first, the Victorians. Disney and, Channel. Yeah, and then Disney, <laughs> right? You think of Tinkerbell. Or you think of, like, the, you know, the little fairy wings. Or, you know, you got the, the girl, like, little girls, like, to buy the little fairy wings and put on their back of their, on their backs and <laughs> like stuff. Like Cody's, Cody's girlfriend. Yeah, so <laughs> you've and, got to. And Tony. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and, and Tony. But, you know, that's because, you know. Yeah, well, different different kind <laughs> different of fairy, fairy there. Yeah. So the, the uh, <laughs> we love we love Tony though. Shout out, uh, but you know, really, fairies uh, could, were known to have done some really bad things to people. Like if you pissed them off, that like there was a story there where a lady was telling about in Scotland where uh, apparently a guy, and this is folklore, guy sees the fairy maidens bathing and having fun by the waterfall. And apparently he gets all carried away and he starts clapping and says, hurrah ladies, you know, good job. And then they disappear. And then he sees an old woman come up to him and tell him, you know, you've, you've made the fairies mad and you've, you've embarrassed us. And when you go to sleep tonight, after that, you'll, you'll wake up blind for the rest of your life. And he wakes up blind for the rest of his life. And so these kind of stories, like, there's they're traditionally sort of a prankster spirit aren't they yeah and, and so when steve was talking about he was talking about <laughs> like the the guy in the woods that just wanted to just stay where he was and everything went silent uh it makes you think about some of this idea like these nature spirits or the lack of a better term fairies mm-hmm. you know whether there might be something there might be something to to this kind of thing you can call my mom up and ask her. <laughs> yeah. Has she, seen the, has she seen the little people? Has she seen the fae? Yeah. One, one thing that makes me so happy too is that, um, you know, after her stroke, like she's starting to come back around again. Like she's starting to get her, her weirdness back, which, which made me really happy last time I talked to her on the phone. So that's awesome. That is good. It's, it's good to have weirdness. Yeah. And, and by the way, like that reminds me, like Edgar Casey was the sleeping prophet. Luke's the sleeping co-host. <laughs> um, what's Edgar Casey have to do with anything? Man? 
<laughs> he looks a little tired today. But I did want to talk about this, kind of continuing our motif on um, guys in costumes for Halloween. Uh, this is a little more serious. Uh, the other day, like three days ago, there was an attack in a school in Sweden. Uh, this time, guy walked in dressed as Darth Vader with a... Uh, obviously with a Darth Vader mask and was stabbing people with a sword. Teacher and student dead after Sweden school stabbing. A masked man armed with a sword posed with students at school in Sweden before suddenly starting a stabbing attack that killed a teacher and student Thursday morning, police and witnesses said. The killer, 21, was shot dead by police after the stabbing spree, which also seriously injured two people. He entered the school in the industrial town Trollhattan around 10 a.m., clad in black and carrying two sharp weapons, police said. Several students told local media they did not initially see him as a threat and thought he was dressed for Halloween. When we first saw him, we thought it was a joke, one student told reporters. He had a mask of black clothes and a long sword. There were students who wanted to go with him and hold the sword. Students eagerly asked to take pictures with him leading to a creepy image published by Swedish media showing the killer posing between two people. Moments after that picture, the killer knocked on two classroom doors and stabbed whoever answered, police said. After he started the attack, terrified students took cover in classrooms and cupboards. One of my classmate's sisters called her to warn her that there was a murderer at the school, a teenage student told the local. One teacher, our teacher got stabbed. The murderer started chasing me. I ran into another classroom. If I had not run, I would have been murdered. I'm feeling really scared. Everyone's scared here. Police stormed the school and fired two shots, one of which hit the attacker, authorities said. He died later in a hospital. A teacher was found dead at the scene, and a student later died in a hospital. Another teacher and another student were stabbed in the abdomen and underwent, stu- underwent surgery, police said. The school has about 400 students, ranging in age from 6 to 15. Officials there held a meeting Thursday before the attack to discuss concerns about the building, which includes a cafe for the public being too open to strangers. Police believe the killer entered through the cafe. School attacks in Sweden are rare, with this being the first one since a fatal shooting in 1961, according to local reports. This is a dark day for Sweden, Prime Minister Stefan Löfven said in a statement. I'm thinking of the victims and their families, pupils and staff, and the whole affected community. Words cannot describe what they are going through right at the moment. We feel for them, and we will make sure that they get all the support they need. And there is a picture of this guy he kind of looks like he's wearing like a Darth Vader mask with like a Nazi style World War II German helmet. He has a sword and he's like, just have a, he's, he's got a picture with, with like, it looks like two girls in the school. Yeah, I saw that. So one of the things that's not mentioned in this article and is mentioned in other articles is this kid, 21 years old, he was targeting non-white students and in sweden at the moment there's been an influx of of immigration there sweden is one of those countries that you would not think it's so far north that you would not think that people from say like the middle east would, would would be in but there's like people that are first generation second generation that are in that country uh and there's about there's gonna be like 190,000 more so because of the whole Syria situation and the European migrant crisis. So this kid, he walked into this school and he was targeting people of, well, 
I, I guess for lack of a better term, like Islamic or Muslim, Muslim descent, Arab, Turkish, whatever. Uh, one of the kids that one of the, he killed a teacher's aide, and it sounded like the the name of the teacher's aide was Turkish. So I wanted Luke to get your insight on this because one of the things that he was talking, they were talking about in another article, was that he was obsessed with uh, Nazism, Third Reich stuff, <clears throat> and there was also a picture of this kid wearing a pentagram medallion the reverse pentagram, which is more like a, a satanic kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, you're into the whole black metal thing or you're a fan of it. Right. And yeah, and so you have some, maybe a little more insight into kind of like what the, those, those guys believe. Well, um, you know, same, same as America uh, over there, uh, you have, <clears throat> you have this sense of entitlement, you know, like we're, we're the genuine, we're the authentic, we're the first people here and they feel very, yeah. They feel like they're being infringed upon and and um not only them as you know people in their space but also their culture and um uh the culture of their ancestors because I uh, can until the light uh takes us the documentary the black metal documentary about the the uh fathers of uh, black metal or whatever the founders of black metal was talking about you know why why these these black metal bands uh well banned you know singular uh, we're burning the churches and, you know, throw uh, or shooting out the windows of McDonald's and stuff like that is because they they uh, were taken up for their culture and they didn't like to see this like Western progression going on in, yeah. in, in their community. Um, and, and the, the so it's more of a that's more of like a reaction towards like Christianity. Or like right. Pagan yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing. So but but but, uh, you know, same with the races invading too. like it seems like. People from over there are are very very territorial, and I'm, I'm I, I you can't generalize and say that it's all of them, but I I do see this kind of underground, um, you know, white white uh, Nordic Swedish, you know, entitlement. Like this is our lands. Yeah. Keep everybody else out. You know what I mean? Uh, it, go ahead. Uh, you've got this is really going on all throughout Europe. Um, I, I think it was Norway. Uh, a couple of years ago, Anders Breivik. That's the guy that uh, apparently he was big into Freemasonry or the Knights Templar. And he shot up a camp of a more like a left-leaning socialist, like youth camp, killed him. Uh, you know, he was later caught. And he, then he tried, I think he tried to blow up a bank or something in uh, Oslo. I get sometimes I get this get things confused whether it's Sweden or Norway because things, Oslo, are, just so, Oslo, things are just so yeah um, similar. They are very there. similar. Oslo but, is Nor- uh, Norway. Yeah, Oslo is yeah the capital of Norway. But there there's a there's there's so so you have that and it very this very much reminded me of the Anders Breivik incident. Yeah, um, you have a similar kind of very like right wing and what Brevik, even though he killed people that were uh, of his own culture of his own race, uh, he was also against the whole immigration and migration thing into Europe. Uh, This is something that's been going on for a while now uh, in Europe, but it's because it's, it's gained more and more steam 
both with the actual migration and then actually the reaction to the migration because of Syria and because of what's going on, what's going on over there right now. You know, I got somebody that we got somebody that listens to this show uh, and I've talked about him before. I kind of consider him like my, my uh, European correspondent. He's back in Germany now, but he fills me in on a lot of this kind of stuff. And uh, there's a real groundswell in Europe against this kind of, against this kind of immigration. And he was making a joke with me today that, you know, he was saying, look at Poland. The Poland has apparently elected an extremely right wing government. And there's just a huge reaction a very reactionary. Right. And, and just like I said, too, like we see that we see this going on here in our country, too. You know, yeah. uh, a, a lot of white people, you know, here in the South and stuff like feel feel entitled like we are the, the most intelligent race or the most perfect. It's, it's race, classic racism. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's going on. It's going on over there, too, just as much as it is here. I think it's going on more over there. And I'm a, I really was thinking about this today as to why. We've always been a melting pot. We've always welcomed people from different countries, different cultures into this into this nation. Uh, even people from the Middle East, even Muslims, we've welcomed those people, right? You know, and the, and and a lot of them have assimilated into our culture. It seems like over there, they are not as used to it because Europe for centuries was was insulated, had its own nationalities, and now only in the last, I'm going to say, 40 years, and really maybe even in the last 20, has there been just this huge immigration from what from West Africa or from North Africa and from the Middle East. And they are just more not as not as used to being a society where, where you can have this melting pot. And it goes, right. it goes both ways because a lot of the people that come from North Africa, the middle East, they do not want to assimilate. A lot of them don't, they have more resistance to, to assimilation uh, in those countries. Now, not to say that maybe second, third generation, there would be more of a similar, more assimilation, but over here, People come from those countries and they, they, they gradually kind of, well, they, they assimilate, I think, quicker. Yeah. And then on the other side of the, the other side, you have people that don't, they're not used to having that kind of immigration coming into the country. So there's been a huge reaction. Yeah. Rob, I, I think you were looking at the, I don't, the, um, this article about this guy. Yeah, I, well, I I hadn't heard much about it before today, so I was kind of. It was yesterday that I only I found out about it. I just I kind of just wanted to see the picture of the Nazi helmet and the yeah. Darth Vader mask. I, I, I think it's also a, a status of the economy too. You know, uh, whenever things are easy going, you know, Clinton was in office. Not that he had anything to do with it, but I'm saying you know the economy at that time was booming, doing great. And I think people are a lot more willing to accept other races to come in and assimilate. But, uh, you know, whenever the economy starts getting a little bit rough right. and people are having a hard time, you know, to making it in society, then that's when they start to shun, like, well, we don't need problems from these other races coming in here and adding more people to our already failing economy. Which is so, what happened in Germany in the, in, the, in the Depression. I mean, that was definitely what happened then. That was what, how I was able to 
the the Nazi party was able to take over because they were able to say, well, you know, who is to blame for uh, the depression is the, the Jews on wall street. Basically that's what they would say. The capitalist Jews and also the Jews that are in our society. And they are the ones that are causing these problems. Uh, that's how they were able to gain the power that they did through the, through what had happened in the depression. So, when there's an and there has been also you're right there's been an economic downturn in Europe too and a lot of right wing parties have they've gained in a groundswell over there they really have and this is what this guy did uh, is just like a microcosm i think of of what's going on over there i think you're going to see a lot more of this well and yeah. that's that's kind of what i was going to say like this is what do you say? The first, first incidents of a, that kind of violence in the school since 1961. Yeah, it's where there was one person killed, and this time there was two people killed and two people injured. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish we had that kind of a record in our country. <laughs> right. Well, they are well, a lot smaller by comparison, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, over here we have we have we have people going in with guns and and killing people. It, it's just you know, somebody's going to do something with whether it's a gun or with a sword, they're going to commit an act. They're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to happen. Well, and with him, it was a suicide mission to begin with. They said it was yeah. a no. And... Well, they got the guy. They arrested him. Oh, though they, no, shot, him. Shot, they, they shot, shot him. They shot him and killed him. Oh, they but they, they found yeah. a suicide note afterwards. Right. He, was, he knew he was going in there and not coming back out. Like, <clears throat> Right. So they, and they had this, the, the, again, the picture with the satanic emblem on it. Yes, yeah. definitely. I mean that that's um, and you know speaking speaking for like Satanist, not not myself, but uh, <laughs> the Satanist corner. <laughs> but but I mean, but you you know a lot of their views are going to align with the views like of the Nazis. You know they they right. they believe in like ethnic purity and stuff right. like that. So right, I, I think you've been exposed to some of that. People yeah. have, have said this same kind of thing, <laughs> and then we could talk about the Georgia Guidestones too if we really want to. But all right, guys. Well, happy Halloween, brothers. Happy Halloween. Absolutely. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we will be back in two weeks. I believe we actually have someone from Norway is going to be on the show. And his name is Augie. I learned how to pronounce it. Nice. Because it looks like Oj, but it's Augie Nost. And I really don't know what to expect on this. Uh, I got to really sit down and read the guy's book. But uh, von I, I think that we're going to be talking. We're going to get a little new agey in a couple of weeks here. So, oh, man. Uh, but between then and now, I think we're going on the leisure hour. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a special <laughs> Halloween episode. Yep. Podcasts collide. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening. I uh, hope everybody has a good, happy safe Halloween. Don't bite into any apples with razors in them. <laughs> and uh, don't, don't take any um, ecstasy candies. Right. Exactly. Yeah, n- none of that uh, from your satanic neighbors like Luke. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody have a good evening and thanks for listening to Conspiranormal. Spooky. Formula Uteris Epsis Morum et excommunicationum strigus et fitos lupos fiterum.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 